Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, all you wonderful, wonderful F1 fans out there. We are back. It is race weekend, and we're in the States. But more importantly, if you can hear my voice, that only can mean two things. One, that my name is Kelsey, and two, you are listening to the newest edition of F101. And as always, we're going to start off this episode with the hot topics. This is everything you need to know in the world of Formula One. And we are starting off with fantastic news. The news that AlphaTauri fans and McLaren fans and just general F1 fans around the world have been waiting to hear. Daniel Ricciardo is officially back for the race for the Coda race in the States. I am just ridiculously excited about to see him race one more time. In the United States for 2023, uh, he's got a full contract for the rest of this season, as well as he has his seat for 2024, just because he was not really able to show Alfretari what he can do this season, that he's the Ricardo of old, that he can get points, that he can get positions, just because he did break his wrist. So they've ex- decided to extend his contract uh, and let him prove himself once again. I'm ridiculously excited to see him. Uh, in other news, uh, Aston Martin has officially changed their name. I don't really understand why. I guess when Lawrence Stroll sold off his share of the company, they decided to change the name. Uh, it is now the Aston Martin Aramco F1 team. Now, if you don't know who Aramco is, Aramco is the number one sponsor of the Aston Martin team. Uh, they do end up donating about 80 to 90% of the total fundraising money that that team does get from sponsorship. Uh, they are a massive, massive company when it comes to motorsports all around the world. So it did make sense that if they're going to change the name and bring in more you know, viewership to a sponsorship name, might as well make it the number one sponsor that you've got. Atari is also changing their name next season for the 2024 year. But the only thing that nobody knows is that what's the name going to be? There's been a few names that has been passed around, but here they are. Clothing company Hugo Boss has rumors that they are one of the front runners of the new sponsorship for the Alfa Atari team, as well as Adidas. Now, I don't know about you, but I think I would rather have Adidas on a car than Hugo Boss. Um, neither of them are actual sponsors of the team themselves, so I guess when they want to come in, it's going to be just a big bang. Here we are. We're giving money. The only thing that I hope it doesn't lead to is the same situation that Alfa Romeo is in, um, where Alfa Romeo bought the name. They gave so much money that it's just known as the Alfa Romeo team, where it's not actually known as anything else. Well, Alfa Alfa Romeo didn't really help development of anything aerodynamic, um, you know, anything in general. They just threw a bunch of money at the team, going, "Hey, here's our logo. You're now called." Alfa Romeo, because that's the massive name. I hope they get the sponsorship where it's linked into the team, but it's not necessarily all about Adidas or it's all about Hugo Boss. A couple of articles have come out since the um, announcement of these two sponsorship rivals, and that would be that 
all of the insiders and all of the main players in the Red Bull and AlphaTauri world have stated that the new sponsor will be closer to the Red Bull family. Now, I don't really know what that means, neither does anybody else. Either you're part of the Red Bull family or you're not. You can't be closer to the Red Bull family without becoming Red Bull. So what other teams does Red Bull own? What other licensing do they have the availability to put on the car that would bring the Alfre team, Alfred Atari team closer to the Red Bull team? If you guys can tell me, if you can let me know by all means, that would be amazing because I'm drawing a massive blank and can't find anything out there. Speaking of new sponsorship names and new teams in general, it has been announced, and I'm very excited to tell you, that the Andretti Racing Team has officially wind-tested their very first car. Now, this car does have 2023 specs, but this is the first major step that this team has taken outside of filling out paperwork and application to actually show the world how ready they are for the 2026 Formula One season. Now, there hasn't been any actual pictures of the car yet, but... It's got to be within the 2023 spec. So obviously they're still playing within the rules, but just to get that wind tunnel time going, just to get all those employees excited and get the development started, it can only lead to bigger and better things. Plus, Andretti has now officially taken that first public step, in my opinion, to essentially handcuff Formula One to say, yes, the FIA has approved me. All of my application has worked. I've got the money for it. I've even got the car developed in the wind tunnel now. You really aren't in a position to say no to me anymore. It's a bit of a statement, um, a bit of a fuck you statement to the F1 world, in my opinion, especially to the teams, not the world, sorry, but the F1 teams going, I'm here whether you like it or not. I'm officially taking the first step in development in proper competition, showing you that I have the facilities, that I have the employees, that I have the intention, and I have the money to be a proper Formula One team to come in for 2026 not just a flash in the pan like they have seen in the past. I'm very excited to see what they come up with. I'm also very excited, as I hope you all, you are, you all are, well, that's a tongue twister, as well as I am to see the next step of this um, evolution for this team. Speaking of evolution, uh, we got a couple of teams out there for this weekend's race that have some really important upgrades. We're going to start off with the quick and dirty one. Mercedes has a brand new floor on the bottom of the car. It's not a 2023 spec. It being so close to the end of the season, a lot of the teams, their new upgrades that they come out with are essentially prototypes for their 2024 cars. They want to see what works. They want to see what doesn't work. Plus, it's kind of a sneaky way to get a little bit of extra development in. If you have the budget to continue to develop your 2024 car, the more you do this season, the less you have to do next season. Therefore, you're still within the budget cap on both sides you just get a little bit of more work in. Other team coming in with six new upgrades themselves is Haas. So Haas essentially has not spent any money whatsoever or as little money as possible this Formula One season in hoping that they can, you know, bring out one big upgrade and show that it's money well spent to their sponsors and to put themselves on the right track for 2024. Well, they've chosen a sprint weekend to unveil and to bring out the new upgrades. Now, this is not just on one car. This is on both cars. So you know they've been saving up their pennies. They've been stashing it away for a rainy day. And the Coda race just happened to be that rainy day kind of event. Uh, six upgrades. They've got a new floor. They've got new side pods. They've got new front brake, front brake ducts. 
They've got new cooling agents. They've got a new engine cover. They've officially adopted, and this is the big upgrade, like bigger than most. They've officially adopted and fixed the Coke bottle shape to the back end of the car. So any team that's associated with Ferrari, so Ferrari and Red Bull, or Ferrari and Haas, was a little reluctant to tweak the Coke bottle shape of the car. Now, if you think of an old school glass bottle of Coke, it goes from really thin to really wide to really thin at the back, right? So what Haasfoot had done before is they were kind of a, it would go out for the wings, the front of the car would be a little bit wider, and then it would just kind of go straight. There's a little bit more on the Red Bull side opposed to the Ferrari side. Well, with this upgrade, they've officially kind of tweaked it. They're about, in my opinion, they're like the middle ground between Red Bull and Ferrari when it comes to the Coke bottle shape at this point as well as the um, scoop out in the side pods that goes up to the engine cover. It's a little bit deeper. It looks a little bit more like a Ferrari car. Um, they're really hoping that this upgrade will really give them a ton of information coming the next couple of weeks. This is the last upgrade and only big upgrade that Haas will have this season. I don't think it was a smart idea personally to do a sprint weekend just for the fact that you don't get a lot of practice time type information you have one practice session and that's it you're going straight into racing which has its advantages because now you know how this car is going to react race day no matter what you've got the sprint shootout which is essentially 19 lap race you've got the sprint race then you've got the actual race so you get a lot of race data but you have absolutely no opportunity and you aren't allowed to tweak the car in any major way unless you want to break park firma which Unless you absolutely have to, because then you end up starting in the pit lane. And let's say you get a really good qualifying, and then you end up starting in Park Firma or in the pit lane because you broke Park Firma because you want to tweak a few things. You get the information you need, but it's not in a very, you know, race and point giving kind of way. Haas needs this to work. It's not that they're a bad team, just they're kind of slow to get to the same spot as everybody else. It was Williams for a while, and then Williams came up with this very well-developed upgrade package, and they just started to climb. Albeit slowly, they're starting to climb the ranks. McLaren, same thing. The first five to seven races of this season, absolutely dog water for them. It was just kind of a throwaway because they were taking the time to develop their upgrade package, and that's worked out tremendously for them. They're in the top five for the constructors now. So... I think Haas is thinking that, okay, we've spent a lot of time, we've spent a ton of money, and we're taking our time to develop this properly in their eyes. Now, I really hope it works for them. I really hope it does. They've got five races total for the rest of the season. Uh, this weekend in Austin, I know I said it the week before, but this is the last sprint race of the season. So, I mean, you get this one out of the way. You get the, you take the bumps and lumps that you, you know, are going to take with the new development of a car on a sprint weekend and you just gather that information and you just move it towards the next race, next race, next race, and then next season. I'm hoping that by the end of the season, Haas is not last, that you see the development and the upgrades start to work in their vehicle so that way they can start the 2024 season on the right foot. Uh, that, folks, that's your hot topics for the week. Like I had mentioned, this is the last sprint weekend of the year. Let's get right into it. So Sunday qualification was Friday afternoon. Uh, track temperature, 42 degrees Celsius. It was a hot day in Texas, just how they like it. Fast track, 
new track to a certain extent. They had resurfaced uh, turns 12 and 19 uh, just because wear and tear and how the track is built and where the track is built, the land has a tendency to move quite a bit as land does for how much it moves when it's really hot and when it's really wet. So they had to resurface a couple of spots, which means there wasn't a whole lot of extra running after they resurfaced it. They have had some MotoGP races on there. They have had some supercar series on there to take away some of the oiliness of it. But it's definitely a corner that you want to watch. Uh, brought out track limits right away when it came to the qualifying just because of that surfacing. And what they had done when they did the resurfacing, they also tweaked the lines on the track. Just like they had done last week's race and a couple of races uh, earlier this season. They were trying to make the track faster and make the car stay on a tighter line. It would be more exciting. It would make the race a lot faster. All it did actually was just call out more drivers for track limits on turns 9, 12, and 19. It was okay, but I, I think they needed to stop messing with what works. Yes, it does make the racing a little more interesting, but at the same time, it also makes it kind of pointless because you see all these guys put in these really good lap times and you just sit there and wait. And, you know, dollars to donuts, nine times out of ten, that you're going to get at least three or four racers that all of a sudden their track times are deleted and they drop from where they are to like last or out of the race or their timing wise, they get eliminated just because it takes them so long to figure this out. I hope this is the last track they do this to, but the F1 being the F1, they always want to make things faster and they always want to try to make it a little more exciting for viewership, which I totally understand. And the only way you're going to get to that point is if you try a few new things, this one just doesn't really seem to be working. Your top five, or your bottom five, I should say, in Q1. Uh, Nico Hulkenberg in 16th, Fernando Alonso in 17th, Alex Albon in 18th, Lance Stroll in 19th, and Logan Sargent in 20th. Very, very, very surprising to see Fernando Alonso in 17th. Really, 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 really not a good qualifying for him. Lance Stroll being in 19th, don't really care. We've done this conversation before. Um, the only asterisk that would be beside that is that they, they, as in Aston Martin, they're kind of in a pickle where they don't really know why their car has dropped off as much as it has. So both guys had two different setups. Lance Stroll had the setup that was designed for this weekend in the sprint race in Texas. And Fernando Alonso ended up having the setup that they used in Qatar a few races back. Essentially what they're doing for this race, and probably for the rest of the season unless something drastically changes, is they're just gathering information. They want to know where the car has dropped off. They did really, really well for so long, and then it was a gradual decline. Okay, some of the cars got new upgrades. And then all of a sudden, they put this upgrade package on the car over three or four races, and they've just dropped right off. They're not in contention. If they are in contention, it's generally because something happened to another driver, or it was the conditions that other people really couldn't deal with, or they just got lucky. So... Hopefully they get this figured out sooner rather than later for their stake because they got a lot of points up for grabs. They got the point differential that keeps shrinking in the Constructors' Championships. And if Aston Martin's changing their names and Ramco's coming in as a major sponsor again, they kind of have to prove they deserve to be there. Q2 saw more of the same. Uh, we saw a little bit less track limits. These guys were getting a little bit more used to it. But what we got to see was track evolution. The... 
corners that they were having troubles with, they were starting to get a little bit more of that oil off the track. You could also see the driver starting to adapt. Okay, when I go into turn 19, I can't go so deep because it's a new track. It's a little bit oily. So what we're going to do is they're going to hit the brakes a little earlier and they're going to, you know, essentially cut that corner off, maybe be a little bit slower collectively out of that corner, but they get much better track position. It slowed some guys down a little bit more than others. And this definitely came to play when everyone's on their final flying lap. It's the end of Q2. It's time to see who's not going to make it. And, you know, Yuki Sonoda, for example, in 11th spot, gets eliminated from Q2. Okay, that's not really, unfortunately for him, that's not really surprising. He's always that so close. But how close was he today? He was eliminated by 18 thousandths of a second. That's how close he was to making it a Q3. That's how much this track had evolved from the morning practice session to Q1 to Q2, especially around that corner. There's only 20 corners on this track. So essentially, your last big one is the one that they resurfaced. Like I said, some guys were catching on a little bit faster than others. Some guys mm, kind of messed up their timing when it came to their final runs. For example, this example, Danny Rick, he's back. It's great. He's putting in solid track time. He's not overdoing it. He's pushing the car as hard as the car can go with him being a little rusty. Now, when I say he was a little rusty, it's not like he hasn't done it for five years. He's a little rusty as in he's missed like five races. Okay, so Danny Rick is just getting the feel of the car. Unfortunately, I think they kind of forgot about the time strategy. Everybody likes to wait to the very last minute or at least the last couple minutes. You do one last warm-up lap. You maybe slow down traffic a little bit so maybe some guys don't cross the start-finish line in time and then you do your flying lap and that's how you save the tires, save the car, you get your fast time. Unfortunately, sometimes with as many people as there are on the track and how long the track is and how many corners there are on the track, sometimes your timing doesn't quite work out. Daniel Ricardo, he only got two runs in. He got one warm-up lap and then he got his flying lap, which unfortunately for him, he just didn't get, he didn't get that time that he absolutely needed. On top of that, he gets his final lap in. Okay, he's 10. He's going to make it just barely. He would have been eliminated anyways because the last couple cars had gone from the uh, elimination zone a little bit higher. They would have kicked him down anyways. But on his flying lap that he's trying to make as much time up as possible, you see that pesky uh, track violations come back and bite another driver in the ass. He hits track violations. His time gets deleted. He ends up in 15th. Overall, in my opinion, not a bad start for him. Yes, he gets eliminated at the bottom of Q2. Okay, but if it wasn't, for, it's not like it was a massive mistake. It's not like these guys blew him out of the water. It's a mistake that he himself can correct and that it's an easy correction. It's centimeters, it's millimeters. It's something that you, okay, maybe you hit the brakes five meters before you normally would, or maybe you don't take just as much speed in there, or you turn the car, you know, three degrees sharper to the right, and you're not going to hit that track limit. It's definitely something that he is under, that he is in control of, and that he's got the reliability, and he's got the personality to not beat himself up too much about it, and be able to do that correction. Then we get to Q3, it's time for the big boys, 
you've got the usual names in there. You've got Hamilton, Russell, Perez, Piastri, Leclerc. Um, yeah, the guys that you know can absolutely haul ass are hauling ass in Q3. It was great to see. Super clean, no drama, really, really tight, tight lines. A couple of unforeseen errors that you don't normally see, and it's coming from one guy. Again, he goes out, warm-up lap, and he just makes it across the finish line with no time left. So he can only do this one more run, and he's putting in purple sectors. He is the fastest on track in the first sector and the second sector. He's coming down to the last sector, and it is amazing. He is flying. He's in first by, I think it's like half a second, two hundredths of a second, half a second, something along that line. And just as they're talking about him, the sticker or the little notification comes up on the on the TV screen, track limit violations, and he's been kicked down. He is not first. Okay, so you're like, okay, who? so who was it? Was it, was it Hamilton? Was it Norris? Was it Piastri? We all know these guys with their upgrades and their personalities. They can really haul, but they do tendency... They do have a tendency to make a little bit more mistakes than usual. Nope. It was the three-time world champion Max Verstappen, an unforeseen error. He had been complaining about oversteering and the fact that the brakes weren't exactly wonderful through all of practice and a little bit through Q1 and Q2. Uh, well, the oversteer came into play and he just cleared that line by, I think it was like an inch, a couple inches. It wasn't a massive over oversteer, uh, but he was far enough that the stewards picked it up. He goes from first to sixth, uh, and it was just, it was a little shocking, but not at the same time, just because it wasn't shocking for the fact that you can kind of see Max is relaxing a little bit more than people thought, but he's also catching himself out making mistakes at this point. When Max makes a mistake, he gets mad at himself. He also takes it out on his engineer that you, that you hear on the radio, but that's a different day. But when Max comes back from his mistake, he drives that much harder, that much faster, and that much more clinical. So the only question remains for this is how is Max going to respond finishing sixth when he clearly could have finished first with a little bit of time to spare without hitting those track limits? So with regular qualifying done for the Saturday or Sunday race, we have our top 10. We got Leclerc in first, Norris in second, Hamilton in third, Carlos Seitz in 4th, Russell in 5th, Max Verstappen in 6th, Pierre Gasly in 7th, Esteban Ocon in 8th, Checo Perez in ninth, and Oscar Piastri in 10th. Those are set. That's ready to go. Okay, we're going to fast forward now. We're going to do Sunday, Saturday afternoon. It is sprint shootout time. Now, for those of you who have missed the rest of the sprint weekends this entire season, let me break this down to you. Qualifying for the Sunday race takes place on Friday. Normally it would take place on Saturday, but it takes place on Friday. So what do you do for Saturday? Saturday in and of itself is an entire race weekend condensed into an afternoon. So what they do is they do something that's called the sprint shootout. Essentially what this is, is this is a whole new qualifying Q1, 2, and 3, but for a totally separate yet shorter race. The only stipulation with that is, is that now when you're in the sprint weekend, you can only use the tires that the FIA and Pirelli tell you that you can use. So the rules for this sprint weekend had changed according to the last couple that we've had. Q1 and Q2 will be run on medium tires only, and now Q3 will be run on soft. Traditionally, albeit the first year, 
Traditionally, a sprint shootout weekend would be qualifying would be one, Q1 would be run on hards, Q2 would be run on mediums, Q3 would be run on softs. But they decided to change it up yet again. It's a way to keep the teams on their toes, and it's a way to keep the teams from doing specific things and adjustments to their cars specifically for hard tires or specifically for soft tires or medium tires. They have to keep them guessing to kind of keep them honest. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, again, another amazing weather day, 40 plus degrees track temperature, 32 degrees ambient temperature, which means like you're in the stands, it's about 32 degrees Celsius. Amazing, amazing day. It looked like the drivers had gotten their cars totally locked in from the qualifying from Friday. So sprint itself wasn't necessarily interesting, but something they forgot and neglected to bring up and they told some of the drivers, because their teams went to look for the information, and some drivers didn't know, was the fact that because there were so many track violations, and because they could see a trend happening with track violations, as was the weekend before and the weekend before that, that overnight, and we're talking like overnight, early in the morning, the F, uh, F1 and FIA got together, and they changed the track again especially for corners 9, 12, and 19. So what they did is they had uh, essentially taken where the lines had been for Friday's quali, and they moved them originally back to where they were supposed to be. So they went from, okay, we're going to make the track a little bit narrower. Mm, that's not working. Friday was a gong show. A lot of guys were doing track violations. It's not making for an interesting race. It's too, you know, whatever. People aren't interested enough. They're complaining too much. The teams and drivers are complaining to, okay, we'll go back to the original width, and then we're going to see how they do. Some drivers figured this out. Some drivers did not. On the beginning of every sprint weekend, regular weekend, before qualifying actually starts, you take your car out and you do what's called a reconnaissance lap. You still have to be a certain speed. You have to get around at a certain time, but you can. it's kind of like warming the tires up before you get things going. You go back into your pit going, my seatbelt's not tight enough. It's minor tweaks and fixes as you go. Some drivers actually noticed that the track lines were wider, and this spread massively. Everybody knew all of a sudden, it's like, hey, they, they put the lines back. They're wider than they were yesterday. Hey, pit lane crew, can you, engineers, can you figure this out? Can you let me know? Is this true? Am I just hallucinating? What's happening? So that news just spread spread throughout the grid then all of a sudden you see these guys go a little bit faster they're taking a little bit more chances they're taking those three corners specifically a lot deeper like they're used to they're getting that that prime racing line to just slingshot that car around the corner for pace for speed and when it comes to race time for passing some cars did it a lot better than other guys uh bottom five 16th was hulkenberg 17th was Magnuson, 18th was Bottas, 19th was Joe Guan Yu, and the, or Yuki Sonoda, sorry, and then 20th was Logan Sargent. Okay, Logan Sargent's just not having a good weekend. He didn't wreck anything, but he just hasn't was, wasn't having good race pace. The really surprise, the really big surprise that I kind of thought might happen was seeing both hosses out in Q1 with this massive upgrade package that they've got. The track is originally the wide, as wide as it needs to be, as wide as it should be. They just weren't able to take any kind of advantage of the track, of the weather, of the upgrades. It's not really the start that they wanted by any stretch of the imagination. 
So I'm starting to wonder, or I was, I was wondering, was this the best time to bring this package out? Or does these guys, do these guys need a little bit more time to just get used to the new specs? Hey, they've got a race that afternoon, so only time could tell. Q2, we're moving on. They're on mediums again. Track evolution again. The corners are wider. The track is getting a little bit better. It's still staying nice and warm. You're on medium tires. So if all of a sudden your first set of mediums are in that window that's, that feel amazing, don't mess with them. Don't change them. A lot of the teams weren't putting on new slicks just because the mediums take a little bit longer to warm up and to get into their groove. But once they're in that groove, they're a massively useful tire. A lot of guys were using their used tires, five, six, seven laps old. It's great. You're getting your time in. Again, some guys just, they weren't, their timing strategy just didn't work out so well. Again, Daniel Ricardo, he, again, only got two laps out of it. He got his reconnaissance lap. He got his warm-up lap. He put in some serious time, though. So we're not going to get this wrong. That It's not like he was at the bottom of Q2 again. He made it all the way up to 11th. Four spots better than what he did in regular qualifying for the race, but again, missing that opportunity to warm up the medium tires a little bit more than he probably wanted to or that he felt like he needed to, which probably was more like it, or maybe his wrist was hurting him. We have absolutely no idea. But just missing that opportunity to get a good lap time in and making it into Q3. Bottom five out of Q2, Daniel Ricciardo in 11th, Alonso in 12th, Esteban Ocon in 13th, Logan Sargent, no, sorry, Lance Stroll in 14th, Joe Guan Yu in 15th. Again, not amazing qualifying for both Aston Martins. They didn't, they didn't tweak their car at all. You're not allowed to unless you take a penalty. So they're still gathering that information going, hey, are we getting there? Are we not getting there? Both Alfa Romeos out in Q1 and Q2, a solid effort by Alfa Romeo standards. They're not, they're not blowing up the track. They're not lighting it on fire. It's it's respectable track times, but you're definitely seeing that the upgrades that they put on earlier in the season that helped them become in the top 10 when it came to qualifying and for points, everyone else has caught up to them and now have officially passed them. There has been no word if Alfa Romeo will have another major upgrade this season. I don't think they will. I think they've kind of blown that budget already, and now they're just looking to the development of their 2024 car. Now we get to Q3. Now you have to use softs. These softs are not broken in. And not a lot of guys were using softs in Coda this weekend, period. Soft tires do okay in the US. They're not, they're not really efficient when it comes to that heat. They get really good grip, which is fantastic. You get really good track speed, fantastic grip, all that kind of jazz, which is great. But they just degrade so fast because of the grip, because of the heat. So it's not necessarily a track that is soft friendly. It's more medium hard friendly. Um, and this weekend was the same was the same deal as any other weekend. You only need two laps. You only need two laps to get going. You only need one really good lap to make it into the pole position. And the guys that are in the top ten are just that they're those guys. There's you've got your Max, you've got your Hamilton, you got your Norris, Leclerc. Um, Albon, Gasly, like these guys know how to do it. Now, normally in qualifying, you want to do top 10. Okay. In sprint qualifying, you really want to be no lower than top six. And the reason for that is, unlike a regular Formula One race where positions one through 10 score points, 
in a sprint race, one through eight score points. So like I said, the lowest you really want to go is about six, just because it's so many fewer laps. It's like 19 laps. You just go. You don't do a tire change unless you crash. And if you do have to pit, you're done. Like you don't have time to catch up generally. So you want to go, you want to go hard, you want to go fast. So positioning is very, very important. The track was amazing. These guys were ridiculously fast. From first to fourth, they were separated by one-tenth of a second. That's how close these guys were. Now with that time, a lot of people, it raised eyebrows going, why is it so close between first and fourth? Like one-tenth of a second. I mean, that's that's super I mean, that's close in, in real-world time and out of the racing world time, but a tenth of a second is ridiculously close when it comes to Formula One time or GP racing or NASCAR. So it, it started to bring attention. Okay, well, it makes sense that a Ferrari and a Mercedes are that close because they're relatively close, and even right now the McLarens, they're, they're right in that mix. So from second to fourth makes sense, but why are they so close to Max? There must be something wrong with the car. Maybe he's having some issues. You can look at all the data, all the screens from any other team, and you can notice a little bit of under and over steering because of the new corners, but that's, I mean, that's nothing new. Most, gener most information that teams get from each other is that the open radio calls. So if you've got something like F F1 TV, I've got F1 TV, you can select the driver and you can listen to when they speak back and forth to their engineers. Those channels are open to every team on the grid. So essentially, you've got a couple of people listening to everybody else going, ooh, strategy for McLaren, they're slower because, or Mercedes is faster because, and they pass that information along to adjust strategies. So you always want to listen. But you don't generally hear Max talk about things like that unless it's an actual issue. They've all got their codes. They've all got their... You know, code blues, oranges, preference one, A, B, C, depending on who you're talking to. It's either numbers or letters, and that's what they're associating with how they want to do the race. But with Max, there was there was nothing when it, at least it came to the sprint shootout or the regular qualifying times that there was nothing going on. He's saying like, oh, the brakes are shit. There's that always that communication. Oh, I think the tires are done. We might want to pit and just try to suck in another team for an early pit stop. Something along that line. It's like tradecraft. But there was nothing from Max this time. And people were starting to think maybe they're hiding something. Maybe the lack of aerodynamic wind tunnel time is really starting to affect them now. Because now we're into that time of the year where everybody else still has all this developmental time except for Red Bull. They have even less because they had the penalty they have to deal with from doing the cost cap. Um, by exceeding the cost cap last season, they get less developmental time now. Maybe people are starting to think going, maybe we can actually catch them. Maybe we have a chance to dethrone Red Bull. Well, it didn't happen out so well in Q3. Uh, the general suspects were top from first to fifth. Uh, Oscar P or, uh, George Russell, on the other hand, he had a really, really, really good quality. He qualified eighth, which is not bad. Uh, and then he gets a three-spot penalty for impeding which generally Russell doesn't do the impeding. It seems this year that he gets impeded more often than not. Uh, so he drops from 8th to 11th, which bumps up uh, Gasly from 10th to 9th, and it bumps Ricardo out of Q2 into Q3. He now starts 10th. So top 10 out of Q3, 
for the sprint race is Max is one, Leclerc is second, Hamilton is third, Norris is fourth, Piastri is fifth, Carlos Seitz is fifth, Checo Perez is seventh, uh, Albon is eighth, and Gasly is ninth, and Daniel Ricciardo is tenth. And that, in my opinion, it's a really good setup. That will set up the 19-lap sprint race that happens just three hours later. Now, if you've never seen a sprint race, it is an event all all by itself. It's it's a little more, and I mean by a little, I mean a lot. It's a lot more exciting than some of the full races that I've seen. It is half the length, if not less than half the length. It's a one-stop shop. The tires you have on is a tire as you got. The cars get about half of the amount of fuel, if that a little less, and these guys just go for it. They don't care who's there. They don't care what track they're on. They just absolutely go for it. Because when you add the sprint races, you add additional points. So let's go over the point situation again. If you get first, you get eight points. If you are eighth, you get one point. So from eight points to one point, that can make a massive difference in driver standings, and it can make a massive difference in constructors' championship standings. We're talking one point can be the difference of either winning or losing tens of millions of dollars in sponsorship money for your team and your driver next season. Now, these guys do have a salary, base salary that they get paid per year, but you always have bonuses. Like any other sport, you win so many races, you get so many points, you get a bonus, so on and so forth. And even for some of those teams, I'm sure there's stipulations where a sponsor goes, unless you hit this many points, if you don't, we're going to drop you and you're never, you're not going to get our money again. So there's that little bit of added stress when it comes to that. But that makes the sprint race all the more exciting, especially because you have an amazing track like Coda. You have amazing weather that you always have in Texas. A little windy at this point now. I think it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, our time in Canada, where this race takes place. Oh, no, 1 o'clock, sorry. And, yeah, it's a little windy now. So these cars now have to deal with the new track, the drivers, and the wind. And do they not take off like a bat out of hell? It is. It's amazing. It's fantastic to watch. A few things. Um, George Russell, he went from having a okay weekend to two penalties in the same day, back-to-back, essentially. He gets a five-second penalty for passing with all four wheels off the track. So, how this goes, if you don't know, let's break it down for you. The two white lines are where you have to stay. It's kind of like driving on the road at home, except there's no dotted line in the middle. You can pass within those two white lines. Okay, That's, a, that's good. That's free and clear. It's totally allowed. You are allowed to pass to a certain extent with two tires off the track. Depending on where the track is, if somebody pushes you off, you can pass, but only two tires can be off the track. So grass, gravel, or just over the white line in general. What you are not, and I mean not, N-O-T, not allowed to do, is you are not allowed to pass somebody when you are not between the two white lines. Well, George Russell, I don't think he felt like he didn't have a choice, but he did pass, I believe it was Pierre Gasly, when all four tires were off the white line. So you have two options now. You can either give the, the, the place back, so you let Russell would have to let Gasly pass him again, and then he could pass him legally next time in the race, and that would be okay. Or you just keep racing, and you hope that you get far enough ahead of the guy you pass and as many people as you possibly can 
So when you pick up that five second penalty, they add it to your time and you just hope you don't drop so many places. Well, that's the one that Russell did. That's the option that Russell took. There was absolutely no discussion about it over the radio whatsoever. Normally, there's a little bit of discussion. In this case, there was absolutely none. Radio silence. Now, either his pit wall decided not to tell him, or it's just a, a, null, um, a common knowledge when it came to him that if you're going to get a five-second penalty, just leave it. We'll deal with it after the words. Just race. That's what you're here for. Did it come back to bite Russell in the ass? A little bit. Did it bite him in the ass enough to get him out of the points? Eh, only time we'll find out. Lance Stroll. Good old Lance Stroll. Not his fault this time. The new upgrades on the car were working to a certain degree, but then all of a sudden he had brake failure issues. He just couldn't stop, well, at least very well. Um, when these guys press on the brakes, they, I mean, you have to stomp with full body weight because you're slowing down a car. That's going 198 miles an hour with, you know, three and a half G's when you hit the brake. You want these brakes to work. Lance Stroll was complaining that his car, the, the pedal felt a little spongy, which means there was something wrong with some part of the brake mechanism, which is an extremely dangerous thing to have. They did decide to retire the car. There was no collisions. There was no mishaps, nothing like that. Nobody went off track. He didn't go off track. So this was just down to a mechanical, damn. Next time we'll get this fixed. Sorry about that. We'll do better next time kind of thing. Beyond that, the race was amazing. There was a ton of passing, and not generally where you think there's a ton of passing to be done. When you're looking at the track, there is essentially what I call the snake. It's a bunch of curves back to back to back to back, and it's like you're going down an S-curve. These guys, some of these guys are going too wide, passing down that S-curve because these points mean that much to them. And it's, it's a fast race. You blink, and before you know it, it's totally done. Super exciting. Uh, Max, not totally in control the whole time. He did end up winning, surprise, surprise. But he didn't, he didn't blow everybody out of the water. He wasn't 30 seconds ahead. He wasn't 12. He wasn't 25. He wasn't a minute and a half. It was still within that reasonable, okay, a couple of laps, and they could have caught him. Again, which is making everybody think, at least it's making me and the broadcasters think there's something up with the car or maybe he's just taking it easy but it's not like max to take it easy on these kind of races or in a race in general he knows he's won the championship but he still wants to win he's setting records still and he wants to continue to do that through the rest of the season so your top eight max verstappen first lewis hamilton second leclerc third norris fourth pierre or perez fifth Carlos Seitz is 6th, Gasly is 7th, and Russell is an 8th. Nice to see Pierre Gasly in the top 8. For Red Bull, thank God, he's starting to get his, his shit together, proverbially. Checo Perez in 5th. Okay, so it's not a full load of points, but it's points in general. It's points to get his confidence up. He's not starting in a bad spot for the race on Sunday. It's just he needs that confidence. The next race is his hometown. He needs to get his needs to get as much confidence as he possibly can going to race Sunday and then going into next week's race in Mexico. But that was the sprint. It was it was fast. It was amazing. Nothing really to write home about except it was really good racing, really clean racing, and it leads into an amazing race on Sunday. So let's get into that right now. And what are these drivers just about to get into? They're about to get into head first the U.S. Grand Prix, the Circuit of America, 
Coda, 56 laps, 20 turns, 5.5 kilometer long track, 344 kilometers an hour. It's, it's an amazing track. It's a technical fast track. There's some really good straight stretches that a team like Red Bull and McLaren can really get ahead of everybody else. But then you hit that technical section where Ferrari and Mercedes are just that little bit faster. So in my opinion, it's a quite even track. It's a good track. It's not, you know, it's not too much of one thing. It's not too much of the other thing. It's a, it's a type of track that's going to challenge every single driver. You've got your strengths, you've got your weaknesses. And if you're not paying attention, this track will punish you on your weaknesses. Things of note before the race even started, both Haas and Aston Martin, both teams are starting from pit lane. We're like, okay, but nobody crashed, so they're not replacing any parts, so what are they doing? Both teams had decided they were going to break Park Firma. They didn't like how their cars were set up. They didn't like how Lance Stroll was set up. They didn't like how Fernando Alonso was set up. Haas did not like how either of their cars were set up. So they broke Park Firma just so they could change things up a little bit. They tweaked the guitar setting for Alonso a little bit. They tweaked the U.S. settings for Lance Stroll a little bit. For Haas, for Magnussen and Hulkenberg, they changed like the tweaking of essentially everything. What they normally would have done after a full practice session over two days on a regular race weekend. So I think it was a very intelligent move for Haas to do this. Yeah, okay, they're going to take the penalties, but they weren't exactly in amazing positions to start the race anyways. If you're going to collect information, let's do it properly. You've got from info that says you need to change the list of these things on both cars hey why not let's do it let's change these cars hey if you end up in the top 10 fantastic you're not going to blow everybody out of the water but you want to still make the car the best that it can be for your drivers you still want to give them that confidence they've got hulkenberg and k mag for through 2024 let's make them happy let's give them a good competitive car or at least a car that's set up for as much success as it can possibly handle Great move from Haas. Aston Martin, I mean, you can't go wrong. You're starting on that downhill slide. You got to correct it somehow. You got to slow it down. So why not pull them both in? Separate tweaks. They're still not running the same cars, but let's make it a little bit more driver friendly on both sides. And hey, let's see what happens. When the race starts in Coda, it reminds me of some of the classic European races in the sense that you're going full bore. We're talking like most of these cars hit eighth gear before you have the first turn. So you're going almost as fast as this car can possibly go. A lot of these cars are too wide. You've even seen three wide. And then you go into the first turn. It's exciting. It's stressful. It's tense. And yet you can't turn your eyes away from it. And this was another instance of a fantastic, fantastic start, especially for both McLarens. Lando Norris ends up going from second to first great start no hesitation fastest off the line just blows everybody else out of the water oscar piastri ends up going up four spots off the start ends up going to six in a blink of an eye he made it look so easy he was so in control it was fantastic it was it was a very i would be a very proud mclaren fan um engineer owner to see the way that Piastri has gone from the beginning of the season when he wasn't bad either to what he is now, you can just see that growth. You can see the maturity. You can see 
his mind thinking more like an F1 driver going, okay, I need to be here and then I need to be here. If I want to get there, I need to do A, B, and C. And he put all that together and ends up gaining four spots right off the line. It was it was fantastic to see. Up until uh, he ran into a dear friend, dear French friend, Esteban Ocon, and uh, they ended up having a collision, slight contact. Nobody flipped. Nobody lost a car part. It was just a collision, which I don't think it could have been avoided, but it wasn't anybody's fault. It was one of those um, piastres coming up on the left-hand side of Esteban Ocon. Ocon doesn't really have a whole lot of place to go, and I don't think he saw him anyways. There was a little bit of a touch, and uh, this was lap one. Ocon ends up not being able to finish after just six laps. He had side pod damage. Now, when you see the side pod when they pulled him over, it looks way worse than in the initial crash. The only, or the initial contact wasn't even a crash. Just they came together, a wing went into a side pod, and just it created a hole. Okay, that's it's a it sucks, but it's not a massive big deal. Until when you see Esteban Alcon come in and like probably the front half of his side pods missing. Just from the air force, the downforce, the speed, all that, it made it look so much worse than it was. So lap six, Esteban Alcon's done. Four laps later, at lap ten, Oscar Piastri, all of a sudden he has to come in. From that same collision, he was able to limp on for four more laps. Now all of a sudden he's got a water pump issue that obviously cannot be corrected. And he's out of the race after 10 laps. Such promise from Piastri. This is his first a major hiccup, I would call. It was his fault. It wasn't his fault. Would he have done something different next time? Absolutely he would. But um, a little bit of a blow to McLaren and a little bit of a reality check for Oscar Piastri as well. No safety cars, which is amazing. No red flags, no safety cars, no, you know, Virtual safety cars, nothing like that. But what you did notice after that little bit of a collision after lap 10, these guys are still racing. Okay, so they're still going as fast as they possibly can. But you can observe and you can just notice if you watched any kind of Formula 1 this season up until this race, you know how fast these guys want to go. You know how fast they can go. And definitely how fast they want to go. But... With the issues they had last weekend with the tires and the potential for flats and uh, malfunctioning tires and all this kind of stuff, you could see a sense of caution across the entire grid. They were still going fast, don't get me wrong, they're still race car drivers, but you could definitely see the drivers taking more care of their tires just because of the track temperature, the new sections of the track and the track itself, and just that overall, overall awareness that we're pushing these tires to the absolute limit and maybe a little bit beyond. So let's back off just a little bit because if this tire blows, potentially my race is done. And at this point of the season, because there's still so many championship points up for grabs, drivers and constructors, nobody wants to take a bigger chance than they need to. So you could tell they were a little bit hesitant that they were still backing off just, just a little bit. There was no warning from or information put out from Pirelli that they had to slow down, that they had to be careful of the tires, that there was another defect. They seemed to have worked that issue out last week. But it was just, you could tell it was on the front of the driver's minds. So it made the, the drive a little more structured. There was still a ton of passing. There was still a lot of wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing. 
but you didn't nearly see as many really late inside dive to a corner on the brakes because it's really hard on the brakes, really hard on the tires, and at this point, you really don't want that kind of failure. Everything's going all hunky-dory. By this time, lap 12, Max has gone from 6th to 3rd. Okay, everyone's fast. Coda, there's plenty of spots to pass, but it seemed like Max again was struggling. But now he's starting to get a little frustrated. You can start to hear it a little bit. Something about brakes. Oh, these brakes are shit. Now Max is known to say that every part of his car is shit, and it turns out the car is absolutely fine. It's his perspective versus, you know, the numbers from the engineers. Is it actually crap? Is it good? You know, that, that back and forth. But he starts to complain a little bit more. He starts to mention it a little bit more. And he's starting to get kind of aggressive about it by lap 12. Now, we've got several laps to go from here on out. So he's still gaining speed, but he's still getting places, but not nearly as aggressively as he normally would. Fast forward, we're lap 28. He finally gets from third to first after 28 laps. It's very calculated at this point how he does. It's a very easy and calculated pass on Lando Norris to get first. It's a lot of, I'm going left, you're going right, and you just kind of switch spots one more time, and I've put you in a position where you can't pass me, where I can easily pass you, and you just kind of, it's not that you give up, you just there's no point fighting it because you can't catch up. But it wasn't an aggressive third to first. You could really see that Hamil or that Hamilton, that Max, excuse me, was really babying the car and he was really unsure of the car. You could see that he was unsure of the performance from it, which means he's not going to push it as fast as he normally would or as hard as he would. For the rest of the race, from second or from first to third, you're looking at a Red Bull looking at a Mercedes, and for a little bit, you're looking at a McLaren, which ended up being a Ferrari by the end. It was so close. It looked like 2021. Now, for those of you who haven't seen 2021 and only know 2022 in this season, Red Bull's dominance was not always thus, at least not in recent memory. They really had to work up to it. So to see the race between first and third, when you've got Lando, you've got Hamilton, you've got Max, and you've got Leclerc, slash slides, it seemed like everyone was on that even level. It was the first year of the cost cap. Everybody was still on that level playing field. Max is not a three-time champion. He's driving like he actually needs to earn it this time. And then you start to hear again. He's fucking breaks this, breaks that, and it's going on to everybody. So now he's having to manage his tires. He's also having to manage his speed. We're only on lap 28. Again, we got a little we got a little little distance to go. By the time you hit lap 35, 36, he's really complaining about his tires at this point. But he's got that overlong speed or that overall straight line speed that he can carry it into the corners. He's not nearly as heavy on the brakes. Lap 35-36, McLaren and Red Bull both go in for tires. Max goes in first. Now, this will set him up for potential victory, and this will set Lando up for a fight at the end of the race. Because they're so far ahead, they're, on, they're essentially on the same tire strategy because they've essentially, at this point, because Max is having to baby the car, they've got a very even car. Everything is not as blown out as it normally is.
So Lando sees this and he's starting to push. He's starting to push a little bit more. Lap 39 comes in. Lewis Hamilton comes in for tires. Now I know we haven't mentioned him or I haven't mentioned him at all this podcast, especially this race. He's been mentioned here and there, but he hasn't been a main character up until now. He had some bad tire strategy. So he was a little bit further back than he wanted to be during his second pit stop. Pit stops are 20 seconds long. So now he has to go on a longer stint to try to keep up to the rest of the guys. His tire management is amazing. His new floor, the new upgrade, is really helping him out. He's got amazing speed, traction. His tire life is better, and I think it's because of the upgrade to the car, the prototype 2024 floor. So now he's in the race. He's in the, he's in the, he's in the mix. It's lap 39. He has the freshest tires out of everybody. But he's got some time he absolutely has to make up now. I think he's got se- seven seconds to make up on lap 39. So we've got less than 20 laps to go. Lap 49 comes around. Fernando Alonso, he's got floor damage. So he's out of the race. So normally, Fernando Alonso is up there. He's competing. It was just not Aston Martin's weekend. He was trying his damnedest. He was about midfield at best. Floor damage. Okay, we're not making it this time. He had to end up retiring the car. Again, no no uh, virtual safety cars, no safety cars, red flags, nothing. Any issue that had happened, these guys were able to make it to the pit lanes themselves and keep the race going, which is it just shows the quality of the drivers that they have. From lap 39 to 56, Max is in the lead. Okay, so there's no surprise there. Yay, Max is in the lead. What's new? The new part is that he's not 40 seconds ahead. He's not 30 seconds ahead. From first to third, he is no more than 8.4 seconds ahead of the third place car. And they're catching him. And they are catching him hard. Like, there's no way he's not going to have to fight for this. It was, oh man, it was it was one of those races where you don't legitimately know what's going to happen. There's been a couple of races this season where you're like, oh, oh, something might happen, and then he ends up pulling off this, this, this something comes in, it's massive, like 20-second win or something along that line. When you're watching this race legitimately, you're counting down the laps, and you're watching that time difference get shorter and shorter and smaller and smaller. By the time we hit lap 50, Hamilton's past Norris. So now it's Red Bull versus Mercedes. In my opinion, this weekend, Mercedes had the better car. It was more consistent. It was definitely faster. The only thing that handicapped Mercedes was the tire strategy. A little bit off, which put them a little about six spots behind that Hamilton had to get back again and then try to make up more time. And they're just, they're hauling and they're moving. And it's just, it's slower and it's coming down. When we get to the last five laps, it's almost a lap a second. Almost. It's just, it's so freaking close. And you hear, I don't want to say desperation, but he almost sounded a little, he was frustrated. Max was frustrated. Max was upset. I don't want to say scared, but he definitely sounded concerned. Because a job of his engineer is telling him what the gap is between him and the guy behind him. 
at one point, the gap was 3.6 seconds. And you can hear Max just scream like, not while I'm braking. And the stress you heard in his voice, like he doesn't want to crash the car, but he still wants to go fast. But essentially his arch rival is behind him catching up. And Hamilton hasn't won a race since 2011. So it's Hamilton is definitely due. And Hamilton is driving the wheels off this car. He's literally going as fast as he possibly can. At one point, the difference between Hamilton and Max was almost a second. One second, which would have made it DRS. If Hamilton would have got DRS, it would have been game over, in my opinion, for one of two different scenarios, in my opinion. First scenario, Hamilton gets DRS, and he does what Hamilton does best. He makes you go left when he goes right, and he passes you at the, at the opportune moment, and he wins the race. Or, option number two, you get DRS, and you end up in a wheel-to-wheel, and neither of these guys are going to budge. You're not going to give an inch. Someone's going to end up running somebody off the road. Or, worst-case scenario, they get into a crash like they have done in 2021, and somebody may end up on top of somebody again. A crash, a flip, something where they take each other out. Worst-case scenario. Max ends up holding on. There's a couple of straight stretches just in time where the Red Bull hits it, and he just extends that DRS zone just in time and pulls away a little bit and loses time and pulls back. It was a back and forth for six laps, giving time, taking time, giving time, taking time. And Hamilton, the time he's making up is less than he's giving up or that he's making up is more than what he's giving up every single lap. So he's giving up. Let's say Max will extend it by, you know, two hundredth of a second, but he's gaining a half a second. He's gaining a second. He's losing a half. He's gaining another half, just back and forth. Max ends up winning it. He ends up crossing the line with a 2.2 second difference to Hamilton. Was it Max being overly stressed? Was it the brakes? The brakes definitely had something to do with it. It definitely handicapped the car. It also handicapped the way Max drives. He can't go barreling into a corner and hit the brakes. If he did, he'd have no brakes. And Coda, you've got some runoff area in some spots of the, the track, but there's others where you've got like six feet and it's wall. Like you've got some places you've got nowhere to go. And Hamilton knew it. Hamilton absolutely did the best he could with the car that he had. Max was just, I mean, two seconds, 2.2 seconds ahead of him. If they had one more lap, if it was a 57-lap race or 58, Hamilton would have won it, hands down. Absolutely 100%. With the car that the situation that Max had and the car that Hamilton had, Hamilton would have won, hands down. So with that, I mean, the, the Australia, or the Australian, the Austin Grand Prix, the U.S. Grand Prix came to an end. But before I tell you the top 10, we're going to play a little game. Okay, and I think it's a fun game. And it also has something to do with the story of the race as well. I'm going to tell you the top 10. Then I'm going to go through the constructors. I'm going to go through the drivers. And by the time we're done, you tell me what, what's wrong with this situation. Top 10 race. Max, winner, wins his 50th race as well. Puts him in the league with Sebastian Vettel, Lewis Hamilton, and Ayrton Senna. He's in some great company. Think of that as like the F1 Hall of Fame. He just keeps setting these records at will not be beat for a very long time. 
Maskett's first, Lando Norris is second, Seitz is third, Perez is fourth, Russell is fifth, Pierre Gasly is sixth, Lance Stroll is seventh. He finally gains some points for the team. Congratulations. Yuki Tsunoda is eighth, Alex Albon is ninth, and Logan Sargent finally scores his very first F1 point for Williams, his first point ever congratulations and it comes on his home soil too this was his inaugural home race yes they did race in miami but where logan Sargent was born closer to texas than miami drivers championships max verstappen 466 points checo perez is in second with 240 points lewis hamilton is still in third with 201 points fernando alonso is in fourth with 183 points uh carlos seitz is in fifth with 171 points Lando Norris leaps Franz Leclerc into 6th with 159 points. Leclerc is now in 7th with 151 points. Russell is in 8th with 143 points. Oscar Piastri is now 9th with 83 points. And Pierre Gasly leaps Franz Landstroll into 10th with 56 points. Constructors Championships, Red Bull with 706 points. Mercedes with 344 points. Ferrari is in 3rd with 322 points. McLaren is now officially in fourth with 242 points, leaping Aston Martin, who is now in fifth with 236 points. Alpine has an even century. They're in sixth with 100 points. Williams is in seventh with 26 points. Alfa Romeo is in eighth with 16 points. Haas is in ninth with 12 points. And good old Alfretari holding up the basement in tenth with 10 points. Now, I threw a lot of numbers at you for a reason. Did you end up figuring out what the difference was from what I just told you to the standings? Now I'll give you a little bit of a hint. The top 10 wasn't actually the top 10 from the race. Uh, a little bit of controversy slash disqualification slash uh, investigation happened after the race. Now, thankfully, this was not hours after the race. This was about an hour and a half total. When you finish a race, your car itself goes into park firma. It's the same thing after qualifying. You are not allowed to touch the car for any particular reason, period. The only difference is when your car is in park firma after a race, it's for the stewards to randomly select out of the 20 cars, they select as many cars as they want, and they go over it with a fine-tooth comb to make sure that every car is within um, regulation standards. Now, sometimes this happens to very specific vehicles because teams will go to the stewards going, hey, that team there is cheating because of this part is doing this. So then they'll investigate through the race uh, footage, and then if the stewards deem that there's enough evidence to physically look at the car, they will go and inspect the car and do whatever tests they need to. In this case, two cars were selected randomly. Nobody had any stipulations or any grievances on how the cars performed. It was Lewis Hamilton's car and Charles Leclerc's car was picked randomly. Okay, that's fine. Out of, I think it was four or five cars that were picked. They both, ended, both guys ended up getting disqualified from the race due to um, infractions on their cars. Now, it wasn't anything illegal, but what they have tested. Now, when you see the bottom of a car, you see when they spark Every once in a while, they bounce up and down, they hit the road, and they spark. Well, there is a plate underneath the car that protects the driver, and it lets 
It's kind of like a measuring device. And there's a wooden plank that's associated with this. And the rules state as of 2022 or 2023, it's, it's a new rule, but it's, a, it's a, like an updated rule, that the wooden plank can only be so thick. And if it's any thinner than that, up to one mil, up into including one millimeter gone, then your car is essentially disqualified. So what that means is that your car is riding too low. Because of the porpoising issue they had last year, the car is bouncing up and down. They put in a new rule that the cars have to sit at a certain height. One, for the safety of the drivers, because a lot of drivers were complaining of back pain this and nausea this and all that kind of stuff, as well as fairness in sport as well as making sure the cars don't literally shake and bang themselves apart during the race. So they set this rule. Everybody knew the ride height. This is not this is not a gray area. This is a black and white. Your car has to be this high off the ground minimum. Well, Leclerc and Hamilton, they ended up being under that height. They set the car too low. Uh, both cars also showed that they had one millimeter missing off of that wooden piece underneath. So both of them were disqualified. Hamilton finished second. Leclerc finished sixth. All of a sudden, now they're both disqualified, which gave the points according to how I just read. Checo Perez gained some points. Leclerc gained, or Norris gained a lot of points because he ended up getting second. Got his podium, which is fantastic, which gave him that sixth spot, which dropped down Leclerc to seventh, which is why he's behind Norris now. It's a mathematical nightmare after this happened. But I'm glad to see that the FIA is actually following their own rules. It wasn't malicious. It wasn't, well, you know, it's kind of in that gray area. It's, this is the measurement. You have to be within it. If not, you're disqualified. There is no appeal. There is no, hey, well, what about we pay a fine or something along that line. It's an automatic disqualification. Your team loses the points. You lose the points. I love it. It's black and white. It's the FIA sticking to their guns going here's the rule yes no either you hit it or you didn't you're in the race you're disqualified it's not the best way to end your race if those if you are those two drivers but hey people are human they make mistakes somebody set the car too low that's that's how it is um another further note story of the race it's it's a bit of a sad note it's not a bit of a sad note it is a sad note it's a disgraceful note during the award ceremonies the top three drivers stand on the podiums, and then the constructor gets their trophy as well. So you get trophies presented to you. Now, it's generally either the president or the mayor of wherever you are. In this case, it ended up being the mayor of Austin, Texas, presenting uh, Max Verstappen with the number one trophy, which is fine. Hey, you won it. Congratulations. The part that upsets me the most is... And this may ruffle some feathers, but it may not at the same time. Is just... I'm going to put this as bluntly as possible. The fucking disrespect from the fans that were there. You couldn't tell if they were booing the mayor or if they were booing Max Verstappen for getting the number one trophy. I don't care what it is. I don't care who you're booing. You're at a fucking sporting event. Now, I have been known to boo at hockey games when somebody gets a penalty or a, you know something along that line happens. But you never boo the guy that wins. That's just poor sportsmanship. And for any for as many 
fans as they were there. It was over 420,000 over the three days. To show the disrespect that the fans there show towards Max or the mayor is just unacceptable. If it's towards Max and you don't like him, that's fine. But you don't boo the guy for fucking winning. You don't cheer. That's it. That's the appropriate response that you do. You don't boo him, but you don't cheer. You just keep your mouth shut. You cheer for the guy who got the next medal. Or you just clap the events over. You had fun. You go home. If you're booing the mayor that gave Max the trophy, don't fucking do that either. You're at a sporting event. In my opinion, there is no politics in sports. If you don't like the mayor, I don't care. Don't cheer. Don't say anything. Wait till he's done what he's doing, handing him the trophy. He gets off the stage. Then you cheer for the other guy. You don't disrespect the winners of any kind of sporting event by booing them because they won. And you can hear the chants of Checo in the background. You could hear chants of Lando in the background. There were chants for everybody there, except the boos from Max. And the grace for which he took it, he just smiled, he lifted the trophy, he did what he was supposed to do, they celebrated with champagne, and then he got off the stage. He took class to the next level, essentially by just ignoring them. He was smiling because he won. He wasn't smiling or smirking because, hey, you know what? I won, fuck you, you can boo me all you want, but I'm a rich race car driver. That wasn't what that is about. He was just smiling because he won, celebrating with his team, and just trying to ignore the disrespect from the Houston fans. Now, I know not all the fans there are just from the U.S. and from Texas, but you're at, it just, it made the event seem, it was a bad way to end the event. You cheer, you throw the confetti, and then you go home. You don't boo the winner. That's just disrespectful as hell. I think if you boo the winner, you're not allowed to come back. Keep the sport classy. And that, folks, is your breakdown to the last sprint weekend of the year in Austin, Texas, at the Circuit of the Americas. I think it was a very successful weekend. Some really great racing, some really uh, fast times, good trophies. A little bit of drama here and there, but, uh, you know, nothing us F1 fans can't handle. Uh, we are on a stretch now. We've got four races left in the season, and they are coming in hot and heavy. The next race is the Mexican Grand Prix, October 27th, 29th. This is a regular race weekend, which means we have full practices. Practice 1 and Practice 2 are on Friday at 12.30 and 4 p.m. our time. Practice 3 is on Saturday starting at 4.30. Qualifying is also Saturday at, oh, sorry, practice three, Saturday, yeah, at 11.30. Qualifying is Saturday at 3 p.m., and then race Sunday. It is nice. It's in the afternoon for us on a Sunday, although if you watch American football, you got something to choose from. The race is Sunday at 2 p.m. I love the Mexican race. It is Checo's home ground. He needs to put up some huge numbers for his fans for his team, and just for his confidence in general. So, until then, talk to you later.